So, this episode was supposed to be Brian and myself talking about Thanos' appearance in Captain Marvel 25. However, due to scheduling, we weren't going to record it until the last Monday in January. Unfortunately, that was the day that the infamous blizzard hit the New York, New Jersey area. So we rescheduled. Lucky for me, I had already recorded this episode of John. I'm hoping next month I'll be able to put out two episodes of Brian, and then we can get back to the planned schedule in March. But for now... Welcome back to Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and with me back again is John Wilson. Hello, John. And with me back again is Al Sedano. Hello, Al. Hello. Oh, we took on like five minutes of that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't volley it back. You didn't You didn't send it back over. I was like waiting for you to go hello, and then I would say hello, and you'd say hello. And... Sorry, I failed you. I have failed this city. Yeah, as long as you get stabbed with a sword, you're okay. In the gut. But you know who hasn't filled this city? Adam Warlock. He saves the city today. Yes. Well, he saves a lot, but he also does fail a lot of people. Because there's a lot of death in this this issue. Yes, there is. Which issue are we talking about today? We are talking about Power of Warlock number five. Number five. Halfway through the series. I know. How's We're starting work? to get some hints about the end, too. Yeah, and I actually, looking, um, well, maybe we can talk about that later, but, well, no, I always talk about it now. This is all one show. I was wondering as I was reading, okay, so now we're actually starting to get some strong indications of where this is going. Did they already know this is where they were going to go? Or was it developed I, at this point? I think so, because not just what happens in the issue, but there's stuff they hint at in the letters page. Which I don't know if you have access to. to this issue. I don't. Okay, well, I'll tell you what it is when we get to that. Okay. But first, for anyone who's wondering, let's pause for a minute, and we are going to drop in the uh, synopsis, and then we'll be back. Warlock number five. The Day of the Deathbirds. Cover date of April 1973, and an on-sale date of January 23rd, 1973. Had a cover price of 20 cents. Writer is Ron Goulart. Penciler, Gil Kane. Inker, Tom Sutton. Letterer, Artie Simak. Colorist is G. Russos. Editor, Roy Thomas. And cover art is by Gil Kane and Frank Giacoa. After a splash page, which recaps the battle against Triax and the death of Eddie Roberts, the story actually begins on the second page, with two scientists driving through the Mojave Desert, talking about how they have to stop a bomb test scheduled for later that day. They suddenly stop when they see a man-sized cocoon, which breaks open as they come closer, to show Adam Warlock emerging. After his triumphant emergence, Adam drops to his knees as he recalls Eddie's death at the hands of Triax and his funeral. 
After the funeral, he leaves his remaining friends as he feels he brings only death and needs some time alone. After using some of his rage and frustration against the mountain, he is contacted by the High Evolutionary, who asks Adam is now ready to give up on Counter-Earth. Adam decides he is not, but does need a break. The High Evolutionary causes him to go back into his cocoon to rest. We see that some time has passed since then, as Rex Carpenter has been elected President of the United States. Adam questions why he's been awoken at this time, and the scientists attempt to warn him about the upcoming bomb test. They are concerned because of the placement of the bomb may set off the San Andreas Fault and cause a major earthquake. Several miles away, we see another scientist inside a government testing station. This scientist is Professor Von Doom. This counter-Earth version of Dr. Doom still has his trademark mask, but dresses in normal clothes with a lab coat. He is also concerned about the bomb test, and not just because of the fault line, but also some outlawed weapons that are buried nearby, which could be detonated by either the bomb or an earthquake. He calls President Carpenter to voice his concerns, but Rex is not worried at all. Shortly before the bomb test, we see thousands of people who don't share the president's certainty evacuating the area. The bomb goes off as scheduled and does cause a minor earthquake. This quake damages the local dam, but Adam is able to seal it before it causes much of a danger. The earthquake also reaches the cavern where the outlawed weapons are stored, and they launch. Doom sees this and again calls the president. Rex again seems unconcerned and tells Doom he will contact the Air Force, while Doom should do what he can from there. Realizing he has a portable deactivator, he leaves and hopes he can stop them. We are told that the weapons are called the Deathbirds, and they are very much like modern drones, except they act without human guidance. The swarm of Deathbirds come across a large group of evacuees and fire, killing them. Adam finds them attempting to kill another group of people, and makes himself radiate intense heat in order to draw them off. Bringing them away from the people, he turns to destroy them when they all suddenly detonate. The shockwave knocks Adam out of the sky, and he lands unconscious on the ground. He is found by Doom, who is the one who caused the detonation, using his portable deactivator. Doom is amazed by what he saw Adam do in drawing off the death birds, and offers to drive the weakened Adam back to the survivors. There, the people view what Adam did as a miracle. They then watch a broadcast by the president regarding what has happened. In it, the president says that America faces a serious danger, and that danger is called Adam Warlock. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. <coughs> <clears throat> no, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil, but you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? And we're back. And we're back. Hey, that was done nicely. I know. So that was what happened in Warlock 5. Um, A lot of stuff. 
Not much that Warlock did, though. Well, Warlock did stuff. But he kind of dealt with the causes. But he dealt with, uh, not the causes, he dealt with, like, the the problems, not the major cause. He wasn't actually the hero of this issue, I thought. No, he was, well... I mean, he saved people, but jumping ahead to that part, they, everyone gives him credit for dealing with these death birds, including Doom. Even though Doom says, I did this. I stopped them. Yeah, and there's actually a weird bit of storytelling along the way there. But yeah, I see what you're saying. He he tried a lot of stuff, but he didn't actually save a lot of stuff. But we're jumping ahead. Let's start with the beginning. And the first things first I'm thinking of is the writer. Okay, I was wondering if you were going to mention that. We have a new writer today who is only on the one issue? Two issues. Two Five issues. And six. So I'm going to go with Gular as the pronunciation. I have no idea if that's correct or not. Me either, so I'll go with that too. But Ron Gular was a huge, I say huge, he was a pretty big writer of mystery, fantasy, and science fiction, having been born in the 30s. And uh, he started working in the 50s. Um, After writing a bunch of prose for 20 years, he wrote several scripts for Marvel Comics in the early 70s. Mostly, those were like adapting classic sci-fi stories into comic form. But this is an exception yeah. to that, where he actually wrote a comic story. Yeah, five and six seems to be, from what I can tell, like the only ones from Marvel where he actually did like Marvel Universe stuff. He uh, he worked with Gil Kane on this issue, and would later work with Gil Kane some more on the Starhawks newspaper strip. Uh, which was begun in 1979. I don't know anything about Starhawks. Me either. Okay. So, yeah, that's everything you know about that. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, he wrote other things. He did write some other comics years later. He wrote uh, issues of The Phantom for Moonstone from 2003 to currently, or recently, oh. I guess. Okay. Yep. He, well, he also did a couple books based on The Phantom in the 70s. Did you see the Tech War TV show in the 90s? I didn't see about the Tech War TV show. I saw that he was the ghostwriter for Tech War for William Shatner. Yeah, I'm not sure what all he did with that. I know he uh, scripted some comics for Marvel's uh, tie-in, but I actually saw that Tech War show back in the day. Because um, it was Will Shatner's new show. You know, you have to check out Will Shatner's TV show that he's writing. Yeah. And it was, um, I mean... yeah. It wasn't bad. It was just not great. I think I watched an episode or two. Yeah, it I didn't really grab me. Yeah, I watched an episode or two. The thing that interests me about this guy is that he also wrote several books about Groucho Marx. But Did like he? fiction books. Yeah. Uh, Groucho Marx, Master Detective, Groucho Marx, Private Eye, Elementary Man, Dear Groucho, and uh, three others. So Interesting. Actually, so he's, he's, he's a... Uh, Various and sundry types of things that he's done. I'm intrigued. I want to kind of look up these Groucho Marx books, because I'm a big fan of the Marx Brothers. I do like Groucho Marx, yes. And it looks like he's, I'm guessing he's writing Groucho as a detective, based on the titles. Yeah, on Except some the, level, yeah. Except for the last book, which is called Groucho Marx, King of the Jungle. Because <laughs> why not, right? <laughs> Well, after making Groucho Marx the detective for five books, let's make him Tarzan. <laughs> so, we have a new writer for at least two issues, and 
someone different, someone that was not normally known for Bronze Age Marvel or Bronze Age comics in period in general. Well, you want to talk about the cover? Sure. We got Adam and Von Doom, well, the Counter-Earth version of Von Doom, which basically means regular clothes with his mask. And we have these missiles that look like actual birds shooting at them. Now, in the on the cover, he has human skin tones on his hands. On the yeah, inside of the mask. book, well, yeah, on the inside book, of the book, he he has they're not gauntlets; they look like hands, but they're they colored like, gray, like his armor. Yeah, so I'm wondering if they're supposed to be gloves. I wonder if they're actually they? supposed to be hands, and the colorist was mistaken on the inside, because the the human That's, hands makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I'm really This guy's not going to wear battle armor to take over the world. He's just he has the mask to cover his disfigured face. But um but there's no reason for him to go around walking around with gauntlets and such. Yeah, I really want to know what happened to Von Doom in this world. Like what was the dip, what still made him go to putting on the mask? Like did he still end up going to the bed afterwards and putting on the burning mask on his face like he did in the regular Marvel universe? Or Earth, I should say, it's the same universe. Yeah, I I imagine that the events leading up to the explosion were similar, where he was um, doing stuff he shouldn't be doing in the you know in his university studies, because he does mention how he wanted to was it conquer the world up until his face was disfigured. He had thoughts of you know supervillainry up until his face was disfigured. I forget exactly well, where it I says know, that. I wrote it down in my notes. I remember seeing that too, but I don't think it was. Um Villainy. I think he just said he wanted to be like a leader. Yes, to lead the world. You know, he wanted to be some kind of leader, like a politician or something, it seems like. Because he seems a lot more altruistic here. You could be a leader of men the way I always wanted to be before I was disfigured. So that's actually not even um, sinister. He just, he wanted to, to help, you know, run things. He wanted to be a politician or a world ruler or whatever. That's, you know, not an abnormal goal to reach for. But I guess once he figured, once his face is disfigured, he figured that he no longer had, you know, an easy road for that. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a good question. Why would, you know, cause the events that led him to putting on the mask on our earth are of a sort that it seems like it'd be very different for this counter earth version. It's funny. I'm, I mean, maybe I'm thinking too much about it, but Doom on the regular earth likes to uh, blame people for things. That aren't their fault. Like Reed, he blames Reed Richards for the accident that originally caused his disfigurement, even though it was his own fault. And yet here, and that was one of the things that helped fuel his rage. Here, like we said before, he's giving Adam credit for just stopping the death birds, even though he even said himself he deactivated them. I would almost wonder, like, is this like a reversing? Did Reed Richards on this world actually screw up his calculations, cause the disfigurement? But Doom blamed himself, and because he blamed himself, that was why he did not go down the path of regular Don Doom, because he wasn't blaming somebody else. I screwed up, and if I screwed this up, what else would I screw up? That's kind of strange. I mean, I can see your logic there. That's just that's a I mean, weird yeah, personality really trait. Well, it's Doom, Von Doom. He's also, he was always a little weird. <laughs> Think about any politician, anyone who wants to be in charge of everything, you know, says a little something off. Well, I like the captioning on the cover featuring the man called Doom, and Doom is given a bit of a, a bit of a font there. But the bubble, this is it. The day of the D 
death birds. Like, <laughs> we've been waiting for this yeah. for a while now. Well, I mean, I death think they mentioned it at the end of issue four. So. I guess. And they look nothing like they do in the cover, inside. Inside, they just kind of look like missiles. Here, they actually look like birds. Like we, um, birds. we start this story, and we have the big splash page. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Re- referencing everything that happened before. We have all the floaty faces of people from the series earlier, with Adam holding the dead body of Eddie Roberts. And it's a little bit odd, because we go from the splash page, reminding us where we were, to a cocoon. And I was reading this, and I was thinking, really? Another cocoon? Like he's already done and gone and coming back again? Yeah. Because it didn't really feel at the end of issue four like this is the end of his mission. It's time to get in the cocoon. Of course, they do They do describe the events leading up to his re-cocooning, and it turns out it's all just a plot device to make time advance a bit. Basically. So that's why one of the, that's one of the things that make me think they were they knew what they wanted to get to at the end, so they had to jump some time ahead. And actually, that makes sense. Okay, so they did their first four issues. You know, they talk about their end game of where they want to go at the end of the, uh, or at least you know, not necessarily end game, but certainly the next storytelling goal. And so, how can we do that? Okay, well, let's jump some time so that Rex Carpenter can be president now. But oh wait, we've got to tell what war. What Warlock's been doing during all that time. He doesn't have a secret identity. He doesn't have any place to live. Let's cocoon him. Sure. Yeah. And this is the one time he happens when he doesn't die or get hurt. He's just doing it because he's upset. Because of grief. Which I don't think we've ever seen happen again. You would know that better than I, because I, I, my knowledge of Warlock after the 70s is a bit spotty. Yeah, from what I can remember, it never happens again. And also... After those first few pages of the flashback, that's all we see, at least over the issue of uh, Ellie, Jason, and uh, David. There's one caption, not a caption, there's one panel later in the series that kind of reminded me of Ellie and David, but you're right, I think they're gone pretty much for the story now. And I have to, I still have to reread 6, 7, and 8. I mean, I read them before we started, you know, getting to the section because I wanted to know where we were going. Right. I have to remember, but I don't think, I'm trying to remember, I don't think they show up in six. I'm trying to remember if they show up in seven or eight. It's been so long now since I've read this series that I honestly don't know. Um, like you, I read it all a while back, but yeah. we've all, it, it's it, been a while now that we've been at the point where it's far enough in my past that it's kind of a fresh read. I kind of know where we're going. I kind of know the shape of things to come, but most of the details are new for me again, exactly. which is a neat way to read it for the show. Yeah. But it kind of has a feeling like he's writing them out. Like, I don't want to write these kids. Let's get rid of them. And that's possible. I mean, Ron Gillar has his story he wants to tell, and that's going to lead into two other issues by Friedrich, and that's going to lead into the end game by Roy Thomas. And yep. after that, Adam Warlock becomes such a hugely different book that there's just no room for those characters anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, after that, he's not even on the kid's planet anymore. Right, right. I think we see them in, um, I think in the Marvel 2, there's a couple Marvel 2 and in one issues that deal with Counter-Earth after his uh, quote-unquote death in the 70s. And I think they might be in that, but that's it. Okay, now you're making me do now. I've got to go to the complete Marvel reading order and look it up. (laughs) Are they listed in there? I don't know. We're going to find out. (laughs) 
Oh, they do come back in seven. So they just, they disappear in five and six. They do come back in seven and in eight and in the Incredible Hulk, which comes later. Okay. So they're not gone. They come back. Yeah. Okay, they're just for, for an issue or two. That's fine. They're moved out of the way for this story. He has a new sidekick. He is doomed. So Adam Warlock comes out of his cocoon. He stands all victorious. It is Warlock. Um, but almost immediately he's like, so, um, why am I back? I have no idea. Yeah. The alarm went off a few hours early and he's like not awake yet. Right, right. But his memories of Triax makes him cry. And the, uh, funeral for a friend. For Eddie. The beautiful for other. Fred. <laughs> and then he does this like That's crazy different. like rocketing up against a mountain and smashing lots of rocks and high evolutionary is like, Told you so, told you you couldn't help the universe. Are you ready to give yeah. up now? Ready to let me destroy it? The high evolutionary really wants to destroy the universe. Destroy the world. He likes blowing stuff up. He does. He has the smite button on his computer console all ready to go. He shines it daily. And it's probably been all bedazzled. Yeah. He's that kid from the first Toy Story, the one that likes pulling up the toys. Yes, he is. And the toys are just happy little toys toys that want to have lives. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I don't want to play with you. I want to blow you up. But possibly the most important um, development of the mythos in this issue is that Rex Carpenter has become president. Yes, that's what happened in the time since. And I feel stupid now because I just realized, oh, his name, you know, considering what kind of allegory the book is, Rex means king and, well, Carpenter. Right, right. So I see where they're going with him. Um, Random guys in the desert are telling Warlock that there's going to be a bomb test in two hours, which is kind of the crux of the plot for this issue. There's this huge major bomb test that's going to be done on the San Andreas Fault. And only one scientist realizes this is a problem. Really? Yeah. I thought that at first. And I even thought when he called the president and the president kind of poo-pooed him, he didn't really give a full explanation. He kind of did like the generic, there's a problem. I'm just not going to tell you what the problem is so you don't really believe me. But then you get to the next page after the president poo-poos Doom's concerns and you see thousands of people leaving and evacuating. So I'm wondering more if it's not the fact that there's only one scientist disagreeing. I think most of them were. I think the president was just like, I don't care. We're doing it. Don't give me your science information. Don't give me facts when I don't want them. Okay, so I read this scene initially as Rex Carpenter just turning his nose at Doom's warnings. But you think it was even more severe than that, that Rex Carpenter is actually pursuing a course of action he knows to be dangerous and deadly and pretending that national security or whatever is most important. Yes. I mean, well, basically, reading the issue up until you get to the very end, you could either read it as what we ju- you just said there, or he just, or, you know, doesn't care what the scientists, you know, things the scientists are just being, you know, stupid. Like, I know what I'm doing. Don't give me your facts. You know, he's being careless. Either or, really. Until you get to the end of the issue, and then that makes, definitely makes it look like he's doing it more maliciously. 
Right, yeah, the malice really comes out at the end of the issue there. When he basically says, it's all Warlock's fault. Okay, so but thousands he, of people pour out of the test vicinity. Wow. Which is Massive population that, relocations. Yeah, which is what makes me think that it's not just one scientist saying, this is bad. You know, if you have one person out of all the scientists there saying this is bad, most people are going to go, okay, it should be fine. But if all these people are leaving their homes, Right. They've got to be getting some information. You know, they've got to be getting plenty of information from people saying this is a bad idea. President's on crack. Get the hell out. Which is weird. It's just a very weird and unlikely series of events. Can you imagine if if the current president, which when this is recorded is President Obama, but hey, we're we're you know ne- election year next year, so hello future people. Um, yeah. If they, if he tried to say we're going to have a nuclear bomb test. Right in the middle of your town that sits on a continental fault line. But hey, all you gotta do is leave the area for a short while. You can come back on Tuesday. And not just a fault line, but a major fault line that's known for having issues anyway. They explode the bomb, and there's a huge eruption. He basically just exploded California or something, exploded the West Coast. It's he, like it's he, not even a bomb he, test. It's almost like an attack on the country. Yeah. He basically did what uh, Gene Hackman did in Superman the movie. Yes. And Gene Hackman was the worst criminal genius of our time. The greatest criminal genius of our time. Greatest. Rex Carpenter is, you know, the president. What if I told and, you they were one and the same? Ooh. Maybe is Rex wearing a wig? Huh? Is it Rex wearing a wig? <laughs> I was thinking that if the president were the greatest criminal genius of our time. Well, considering the fact that this book came out in 72, which means, uh, wasn't that a... Wait, what year was Watergate? I think Watergate was 73. Or was... Hold on, let me look it up. Because that would explain a... You know, it would make a lot of sense then why they would do that. The June 17th, 1972 break-in at the Democratic National Committee. And then the Watergate scandal followed as a result. This issue is 1973. So, yeah, this is definitely in the wake of Watergate. Wait, you sure? Because I have a... Oh, April 73. You're right. Sorry. Copyright was 72. I was looking at the wrong year. Yeah, so this is post-Watergate. Wow. So they just made the villain president a villain president. That's interesting. Well, this is right around the same time they did the whole uh, what, the Captain America with the Secret Empire story, if you know about that one. Sadly, I don't. Uh, real quick, not to ruin anything, but basically he fought the Secret Empire, which is like one of those like Hydra-type organizations. And um, they don't show you when he gets to the end. He basically chases their leader, number one, into the White House, and the guy commits suicide, takes off his mask and commits suicide. And from the way they do it, basically, they very strongly imply that it's Nixon. Gotcha. And that's what actually led to Cap not being Cap and being Nomad for a while. Interesting. Okay, so now that, you know, Nixon is trying to attack the United States, the dam is falling apart, there's lava flowing, Warlock is just flying all over the place trying to save things. And we don't have what I would really like in a scene like this 
to show how much he's trying to do would be like a scene where you have like this huge scape of a problem and a little bitty warlock going up against it. Now that's not the way art was done in the seventies, but just to show the scale of things, I would really, really like an image like that. But you do get him rushing all over the place, just trying to save the day. Yeah. He's trying to, and it looks like a new version of his power too. He's using it to blast the dam and like fuse it together. He's like heat blast coming out now. Or energy blast coming out of his hands, which I don't think he's done before. He summons up a tremendous flow of cosmic energy and focuses its full force upon the tumbling walls. Yeah, and that's how he melts the, the dam back together, and then he uses that energy again to blast the channel for the water to uh, send it to a lake. I wonder what kind of mana you have to tap to summon cosmic energy. Sorry, Magic the Gathering joke. Anyways. I got it. <laughs> I would say the reason I mentioned the Superman thing before, actually, is when I read this, it did, you know, the things that damn it definitely reminded me a lot of the, the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. Yeah, this this is a very Superman-ish issue, um, at least in the action Five years earlier? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. in that scene right here of the dam. But it's like, what, five, six years before? I mean, he was doing stuff in the comics, and this is emulating Superman's comics. But yeah, it's also, sure. you know several years before the movie, doing stuff very much like the movie. And then we see Professor Von Doom. Actually, I want to go before that, right before that page. Okay. I've noticed how Adam has channeled the waterway to the lake, and we're seeing that in a cavern nearby, these missiles, the the death birds, have been stored, because the ones Doom said are too dangerous, you know, were stored nearby, were too dangerous. And that's what he was worried about. He was worried about the earthquake setting them off. And I'm just looking there, I'm like, they just stuck him in a cave? I was like, thinking I about that, too. They're not in a His description a earlier is that there's a cache of outlawed war weapons buried too near that fault. Okay, if they're outlawed war weapons, why have they not been dismantled and deactivated? Exactly. And when he said buried, I thought he meant, like, like I said, they're in a bunker, in some kind of casing, and then shoved, you know, locked away, and then maybe covered with earth. This literally looks like they just kind of got a couple of guys and gave them some shovels and said, I these missiles. Right. I can just see them, like, pulling, putting them on big old flats and hauling them into a crate cave and, and letting them letting sit down and, you know, going back and get the next flat of missiles and taking it over. Okay, they're all in the cave. Is it time for lunch yet? Maybe some, maybe some genius actually thought, can we blow the cave to seal them up? Sure, why not? <laughs> so now we have thousands of homeless, looters roaming the land, and the quakes have activated the Death Birds. Yeah, so Doom calls the president to let him know, and the president seems to go, relax. Okay. And the president says, oh, I'll handle the Air Force thing from here. The Air Force never shows. Yeah. That's true. I'm flipping ahead, but yeah, uh, yeah, no Air Force. So well, this he is didn't lo- handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Rex Carpenter is looking more and more sinister as we look at this issue because he's poo-pooing Doom's um, concerns, anguish, and terror, and you know, concern that people are going to get killed. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll take care of it. You just calm down. Go have a Snickers. You know." Let's not make an unfortunate incident. 
What's that? Uh, I was laughing at the Snickers thing. I, I, I was in the I, Snickers commercial. Yeah. I, I, continue, I, I sometimes talk past my joke and I don't give a chance to respond. I apologize. <laughs> You're editing yourself. <laughs> no one heard that, right? Good. But yeah, no, he's just ignoring that completely and just telling Doom, yeah, you do what you can over there. I'll take care of the Air Force. Happily, Doom does have a portable deactivator that he carries around to deactivate things portably. Oh, that's my favorite panel from the book, and favorite lines. Do what I can? It would take planes, perhaps, even. Or, wait, I could try the portable deactivator. <laughs> it's like, what should I do? Oh, wait, it's the thing that turns turns them off remotely. Yeah, that, that'll work. It's just a universal uh, Bluetooth off switch. <laughs> All I have to do is have it nearby, and I, I, I turn them off. It works on his lights, too. Yeah. It's like, well, either it's going to turn off these bombs or, you know, your TV is going to go off. One of the two. Right, right. Depending on the frequency. You have to make sure that you set that thing up ahead of time, like when you buy a universal remote. Yes, you have to spend like an hour going, okay, is it this number? No. This one? <laughs> no. No. 0963? No. No. 0964? still coming. <laughs> the are coming. coming. Hold on, what's the next one? 0965. Really? Did we do that? No, I don't think we did. All right, maybe the Air Force would have been more helpful. (laughs) (laughs) And he gives a nod to Reed Richards. If only my colleague Reed Richards weren't away researching a new project. Well, no time for that. Today, Victor Von Doom must act alone. So they're usually partners in in, uh, not crime. In science. Partners in science. Partners in smartness. And then we get the two panels at the top that kind of made me think I was wondering if they were doing David and um, Ellie. None of it looks a oh, whole yeah. lot like David, but it's a guy with brown hair with lines with a blonde beside him. Yeah, well, hopefully it's not them, because considering what happens to all those people. Oh, yeah, they do just die there, don't they? Yeah, so, I mean, if Warlock gets so as upset when one person he knew died, imagine if two more of them. But it only matters if you know the guy. Well, if yeah. you don't know the people who die, then it's okay. Exactly. Then it's okay. Now, I just, I'm just curious. Because these missiles, they aren't actually missiles. They're like they're more like drones, actually. Mm-hmm. Because missiles fire and they hit something and explode. These fly around and shoot. Right. So I didn't realize that the concept of drones went back this far. I mean... It's kind of funny. It's very topical, considering that there's a lot of people who have issues with the fact that we're using drones in certain parts of the world. And right. even in this issue, they say they were outlawed. It is interesting. Like, yeah, you're right. With the, with the topical application, it is it is interesting. I just think of it as kind of a, a, a trope of having vehicles flying through the air attacking you, because that's what fiction villains can do. But it's, it's kind of weird to be reading this now. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, so people start dying. There, yeah, we see a lot of dead bodies. I mean, it's only one panel, but there's a lot of them. And he says, it's too late this time. Death has preceded me. What has wrought such havoc? And then Corsair comes out and says, that's my boy. Sorry, Corsair. Havoc. Ha! Ha! Oh. Sorry. But I'm some... Yeah. He's here all week, folks. Try the veal. 
<laughs> I told somebody to try the veal today. A friend of mine's new on Facebook. And I was like, welcome, try the veal, don't forget to tip your waitress. I don't know what's more uh, amusing for me with that, when people like that, or when people go, like get upset by the fact that you mentioned veal. Yummy veal. <laughs> anyway, so Warlock apparently is deciding he's going to try and lure the, the missiles away, so he's apparently he, used the gem to now make himself hot, make himself into sunboy. Yeah, he basically, I guess the torch would call it a Nova Blast or whatever, he just flares up with such a powerful, intense heat that all of the deadly missiles turn and aim for him. And he starts flying away to pull them away from the uh, the population center, and he's about to take them all on, but instead they explode and, boom. and he falls. And he has expended so much energy in this issue, because he really has. He's been going to town trying to save things in this issue, that that final blast was too much for him, and he falls to the ground um, unconscious. In fact, he almost crashes completely. He just is... He's able to save himself at the last second, but he pretty much, yeah, that's crashed then. Until Doom finds him. And calls him the man who destroyed the Warbirds. Even though in two, what, three panels later, he says, I did it. <laughs> like, Doom, you did a good job. You don't have to be so self-deprecating. Don't give everyone else credit for what you did. <clears throat> now, on the other hand, Warlock did get them out of the town. He did get them away yeah, from the get- people. Even no, though he didn't do true. the actual final death blow on them, he did actually take them out. And maybe that's what everyone's doing, because that's, when they go into town, everyone gives him credit for stopping the death birds. I mean, he did save them from the flood and fix the dam, so that's all him. And evidently, even though he's been in a cocoon for some weeks or months, uh, they still remember him from the news. Gold skin no, guy that the, the papers call Warlock. He's the only one like him, so... I'm sure they still they probably would have papers for like a week or two after saying where is Warlock? I mean, there's no one else in this world. I mean, the closest thing we have actually here is uh, Doom. Oh, you're right. He probably his disappearance was probably news. Yeah, because I mean, the closest they had to anyone who's not normal human, since most of them didn't know anything about the new men or anything, would be Doom and his mask. And now they probably published books and, called Where's Warlock and he's hiding behind the snowman. Oh yeah, <laughs> over here. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm sure he's in all the tabloids. You know, Warlock hiding out with um, I don't know who's big then. Elvis. Elvis, yes. Oh yes, that'd be perfect. You know, pictures of Warlock hiding with Elvis. One of my favorite lines from this story is whenever Doom says, "We must talk." Here, I'll summon my car. Another invention of mine. And Warlock says, "I am not sure I am ready for social discourse yet." <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to get in your car. Adam Warlock has never had a normal conversation. He's not sure if he can do that. And to tell the truth, I don't think he's still ready for it now. Probably not. He's He's an odd duck of a character like that. Yeah, he doesn't know how to just chat. Neither one of them. He's good at brooding. He's good at brooding, though. He broods with the best of them. With his sometimes green, sometimes blue stone on his forehead. He's right up there with uh, Angel from uh, the Angel Show, TV show. Yes. Now, we do have some people who show up, you know, taking into account the fact that this is a world with no superheroes. She has just seen what she thinks is a miracle. 
Warlock, wait, yeah. please, I we- want to thank you. There's no need. Yes, there is. You saved us from the flood and from those terrible missiles. It was so much. It was, it was a miracle. And she's hysterically in tears, holding his hand and cradling it to her cheek. And Doom is just like flabbergasted, but it makes total sense. This is a, this is a completely normal reaction to have the first time, say, Superman shows up on the scene. Exactly. Especially if you have nothing like that ever. Ever. And since they never had anything like that on this world ever, yeah. I mean, I know the allegory we're going, they're going for in this, the book, and we've gotten different versions of it, like with him, the high evolutionary, but this is the first time we're really seeing it with uh, the masses. Yeah, that the people are seeing Christ. Exactly. I mean, we had it with, you know, the few kids, you know, the disciples, and we had it, you know, with, with the man beast, you know, as Satan and uh, the high evolutionary, but now we're actually getting it with the whole world seeing him. You know, he's not a secret any longer. But then everything gets spoiled. Because Rex Carpenter is a dick. Well, he's kind of, he's kind of evil. Um, my fellow Americans, let me first say how deeply I regret this tragedy. Yeah? Do you regret it? Because you kind of deliberately made it happen. You know what? This is not, let me first say how deeply I regret this tragedy. This was, America was suddenly and deliberately attacked. This is a wrong presidential speech here. But he does go on to say, let yeah. us remember that in dangerous times for the good of the nation, we must all make sacrifices. I must tell you, our country faces a serious danger. We must stop at nothing to get rid of this danger. And the danger is in a man named Adam Warlock. Now, I have to tell you that for me, the second panel of this speech does not really lead very well into the third. Like, no, because it, it looks like he's about to try and say this was good for us. This was like something that had to be done despite what happened. Which in right. itself is it's kind of, of a, a dickish message. But well, then yeah, it's you're like, right. It doesn't really lead into the third panel. Yeah. He just changes gears and is like, oh, by the way, there's a bad guy out there named Adam Warlock. So is he trying to say that Adam Warlock caused all those things? Maybe that's his way of getting out of it. Maybe. By talking about what happened, he's like, listen, we have to make sacrifices. I know this is bad. Oh, and there's a bad guy over here, too. Look at this guy. Look at shiny, shiny, shiny bunny, shiny bunny. Okay, okay, so let's let's do some speculation since neither one of us has read six recently enough to know the answers to these questions. Adam Warlock got pulled out of his cocoon prematurely. Like, he did not understand why he was being pulled out. And yet it was done yeah. two hours before the bomb test that Rex Carpenter has engineered to blame on Adam Warlock. Oh. So Rex Carpenter does all of this attacky stuff, kills all of these people, and then says, Adam Warlock did it. Adam Warlock was in a cocoon this morning. Yeah, you're right. So it's kind of, it makes me wonder how Rex was able to engineer those events or what it was, if there was a a tertiary factor involved that got Warlock out of his cocoon. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's interesting. I didn't think about that part. Yeah, I wonder if maybe he did have something that was pulling him out of it. And, of course, Warlock's all confused because he thought he and Rex Carpenter were friends. Why has Rex Carpenter turned against him? And he will find out dot, 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 soon. Yeah, because Rex helped him in last issue with uh, Triax. Right. Happily, the public around him is not the type to just automatically believe Rex Carpenter. This is not a Spider-Man comic. 
when they do slowly back away, but they're they're just confused because Warlock just saved their lives. So why would the president be saying these things? Yeah, I mean, they're actually having a realistic reaction, not just, oh, okay, someone told me you're bad. I guess we're going to have to try and chase you as an angry mob. <laughs> yeah, they're actually having, like, a realistic reaction. It's like, but why is he saying that? You just saved our lives, and wasn't he the one causing the bomb test to set this off? And I guess that yeah, brings us to the end of the issue. And next issue, enter Reed Richards. I'd rather not, thanks. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll, you'll have a helmet, at least. <laughs> He's just not my type. <laughs> oh, a few other things in the in the issue though, besides the story, in Stan's soapbox he's teasing about Foom. Foom. But yeah, Foom is basically for anyone doesn't know Foom is kind of the sequel to the MMMS. Marvel's way of garnering supporters and getting a little bit of extra cash by people buying yeah, memberships. Yeah, it was their fan club. The MMS was a fan club in the sixties and this is the seventies version. I think it was called uh, Friends of Old Marvel. Right. In one of the letters, the second letter, it's from a guy named Brian Earl Brown. He talks about, he's asking for the return of the Man-Beast. And what he says in his letter is, in issue two, the Man-Beast disappeared into a mist that faded into the mass of humanity. Now, what if it settled into the subconscious of some man, unknown to him, possessing him, as it were? And their answer to him is, Mike, thank you. And as for the Man-Beast, be advised, all you've seen has been weaved with a web of illusion and disguise on his part. Say that sentence again. As for the man-beast, be advised, all you have seen has been weaved with a web of illusion and disguise on his part. Interesting, because I did happen to look ahead and see the end of issue eight when, you know, things go down. And, yeah, that letter writer, huh? (laughs) Who was that? Who was his name? Brian Earl Brown. It's not a name I recognize. No, me either. I read a lot of letter columns, um, but that's not a name that that jumps out at me. Interesting. Well, either um, they stole the idea or that boy's prescient, one or the other. But not just that. Interesting, the fact is they kind of, the answer they give kind of gives you a hint of, yes, that's where they're going. But they tell you that in the letter column before you would even know that in the book itself. Yeah. Because I mean, all we know right now, we, the issue is that Rex Carpenter is a jerk. Right. And so is Professor Xavier. Yes. Yeah. Actually, no, not yet. This is too early for that. He's not a jerk yet. <laughs> no, he's totally a jerk, but the, she hasn't called him that yet. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> I love that issue. But yeah, like here, like we all we know Rex Carpenter is a jerk. If you're just reading this, you know, straight through, the man beast has been dead for like three or four issues. And Rex Carpenter has turned into a jerk. And that's half a year. I mean, three issues is six months. That's always one of my things about the creative process is just kind of what leads to what. And there have been so many stories I've read where I just wanted to pull the author aside and say, okay, walk me through how this happened in your head. Because I'm always curious about that, and I never get to ask that question. Yeah. Did they have the ending already planned out here? Yeah, I don't know where they were going with it. I mean, what they were planning. I wish I knew. If we ever had a chance, I believe everyone involved in this is still alive. Well, no, Gil Kane, I think, has passed away. I think Gular is... Is he still alive? He's like 82 years old? Yeah, according to Wikipedia, though, he's alive. Okay, I wonder if it's on Facebook. And uh, Roy Thomas is. 
Yeah, which for some reason I keep forgetting. Like, I keep wanting to say Roy Thomas is dead in my head. Sorry, Roy, I love you. You keep trying to, you keep trying to kill him. The man's still alive. <laughs> it's not intentional, I'm not I promise. Dead yet. I'm not dead yet. Yes, you are. <laughs> I feel <laughs> happy. I feel happy. <laughs> the two of you. My wife just heard a little bit what you were saying, and she's in the other room right now yelling at the same time, I feel happy! <laughs> and the two of you are both ends saying the same thing at the same time. That's great. <laughs> All right, Al. Okay. okay. I'm what back. are we going to do now? All right, so now we're going to go to, it used to be called Adam's Friends, but now with Thanos in the series or actually, as I say, Thanos in the podcast, we're calling it Friends and Enemies. So basically, we're just going to touch on the other issues that uh, Adam Warlock or Thanos has appeared in so far and see where they are currently, or as currently as of Warlock number 5. So let's start off with, let's do alphabetical order. So let's start with you, John, with Fantastic Four 132. Are you sure it's 132? Oh, yeah, uh, that's what they say. But yeah, it's on the it's in the checklist for this issue. Hmm. Because that is not at all what happens in 132. That's 133. Did they screw up? The the description they're giving is not for 132. It's for 133, which is the issue I was thinking <laughs> of. So. And that was the one I wasn't worried about, because it's right in the issue here. Okay, so um, let's go to Mike's Amazing World and see when this issue came out. There's Warlock 5, April 1973. So that came out in January 1973. And the Fantastic Four issue on stands in January was issue 133. And they have the oh. same cover date. So it's, it's got to be a typo. So it's, you just said Fantastic Four 132, so I'm just going to say actually it's 133 out this month and say the thing. Okay. okay. Actually, it's 133 out this month. Thundra at Dawn um, by Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas and Ramona Fraden or Fredon as the artist. The ever-loving blue-eyed thing versus the super-powered bombshell named Thundra. It's the battle of the century, any century, this issue has a whole lot of cameos by a lot of different people, including Spider-Man. So um, it's been on my list of issues to read on basically any character that I that I like that I read through the issues of. Fantastic Four 133 always manages to show up. Have you read it before or no? Uh, I have. It's been a while. It's only once, but I have read it. Because I've actually re not read any of these issue four issues we're going to mention. Okay. So well, yeah, they have a that. they have a fight that kind of kind of goes across the town, and, and all all the various Avengers and Spider Man and stuff kind of. They try and keep them from destroying everything around them. Yeah. So next up, we have Incredible Hulk one sixty two, Spawn of the Flesh Eater, by Steve Englehart and Herb Trimpey. Lost and wandering in the Canadian wilderness, Hulk soon discovers one of the darker mysteries of the true North. Meanwhile, Thunderbolt Ross is in the process of finagling his Hulkbusters through customs. <laughs> wow. I want to read this one. I want to read the excitement of custom forms. <laughs> yeah, and do they have to take off their shoes and their belts? 
it sounds like a parody of like a Bendis comic. It and does. This issue, they fill out custom forms and talk about it. Well, then we have Iron Man 57, which is entitled Strike by Steve Gerber and George Tuska. When a sudden strike hits Stark Industries, Tony determines to find the man responsible for the slanderous accusations against him. He soon discovers there's more to his adversary than meets the eye, and on the cover, it's the Mandarin striking back. Iron Man shouting, Do your worst, Mandy! Fire your power rings at me! Tear my armor into gleaming, gleaming shreds! I'll still keep coming till I'm dead. So, yeah. And finally, we have Thor 210, The Hammer and the Hellfire, by, again, Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and John Perlin. I do have to wonder how many Thor stories are out there that are called The Hammer and Something. Oh, yeah, there's got to be a lot. Now you have me wondering that, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that'll be homework for next time. So anyway, Thor has crossed half the world, and still there is no sign of Sif. Yet there is no rest of the weary, and a moment's respite quickly becomes a conflict with none other than Ulick. Ulick? Ulick? I've always said Ulick, but I don't know. Ulick? The, the, right, the, the, the troll guy, right? Yeah, Ulick the rock troll. Right. Okay, so those are where our friends and enemies are right now. Not to mention oh, Thanos over in the cup. Captain Marvel uh, cosmic, what's it called? The, the Thanos War with the Cosmic Cube over in Captain Marvel? Yeah, that one. Yes, which just started last issue, episode, actually. So we get to hear more of that next time. But I won't be here. I'll be on, I'll be on the other side of the microphone, or, or the, the headphones for that one. Now, besides the FF, have you read any of these issues we just talked about? No, no. My my experience with Marvel in this era is very, very spotty. Um, during the Bronze Age, during the 70s, rather, I've read a lot of Spider-Man. Basically, the entire decade of Spider-Man, the entire decade of X-Men, and the entire decade of... Um, most of the decade of the Avengers. Um, and, of course, all of Warlock. But beyond that, I don't really know anything about what's going on. Yeah, from what I can remember, I mean, I have to look both the titles, but from what I remember, I read, well, I read all the X-Men from that time, all the X-Men pretty much, but yeah, I read like spotty things here and there of a, or somewhat spotty of a Spider-Man and Avengers as well, but the other ones, it's very, very spotty. Like, I know I have an issue or two of Hulk I've read. Yeah, my Hulk reading, my Thor reading, all those big names that I really, really like now, I have not really read much of in the past, and I've gone through big reading projects. Uh, Ms. Marvel is another thing that I've read from this era because Carol Danvers is one character that is just high on my list of characters I want to know more about. Oh, that's right. Yes, I have read at least the first few issues so far of Ms. Marvel. Yeah, I've read almost the entire run up until the last couple of issues before it was unceremoniously canceled. That's right. I remember you said that before because I mentioned the... Uh when they brought it, they brought back those issues, the, the ones they had written and drawn but never published. They were but like yeah, 24 um, most of, there's a whole lot of Marvel out there that I have not yet read. And the stuff that I have read that's random is because it has an appearance of some other character that I was following. All right, well, in case anyone else wants to read these, or actually, more importantly, wants to read the Warlock issue we talked about, it has been reprinted in a few places. See how I segued there? I uh-huh. do. 
So you can read this um, in black and white, one of the Little Warlock, Volume 1. Or if you want it in color and want to pay a little bit more for hardcover, you have the Marvel Masterworks Warlock, Volume 1. Or if you want to be all high-tech and fancy, you can read it digitally on the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited website and app. Or just buy the original issue. They're probably not that expensive. Yeah, I got mine for like two bucks. Yeah. I mean, it's not near mint. You know, the bottom corner of the cover is missing and, you know, it's not the best condition, but it's definitely a good reading copy. I should go and get copies of of this run. I'm doing it all digitally, but I should go and get copies. It's only, what, 15 issues for the whole run? Yeah. Plus a few additional things from other titles. I'd probably invest in that. Yeah, the, the, but, main thing, the main thing I would consider if you did that, besides the 15 issues of Warlock, is the Strange Tales issues. The Strange Tales and the Marvel premiere and the Incredible Hulks. And I guess the Marvel 201 and Avengers Annuals. Yeah, because you got to have the end of the story, right? Yeah, exactly. So is that it? I think that's it. Well, yeah, we covered his powers before when we talked about uh, the Energy Blast one when he was melting the dam. Right, that's the only new thing he did this time. Because other than that, it's a cocoon, which is normal for him, and uh, flying. Oh, actually, wait, no, the uh, glowing, radiating heat and glowing. I don't think he's done that before either. Yeah, I have the idea that he can just basically do any energy channeling he wants to do, but the the ways that manifests manifests do change from time to time. Yeah, because that's definitely not something we see, that's not part of his normal repertoire. Like, if he just, like, held up a finger and a little flame was sticking out of it, like the top of a lighter, I would consider that totally normal for a warlock to do. Sure, we actually, based on what you say, yeah, I can see that, that's right. He's kind of is just energy manipulation. Right. And it looks like right now, that's what they're having the soul gem do, actually. The soul gem is more helping him with that. Yes. The soul gem does not serve very much purpose right now. Even though it's called soul gem. In fact, I'm not sure why it's called soul gem. Other than the fact that it's 70s and sounds cool. Well, if it were on his bottom lip, it'd be called a soul patch. Very true. And then he'd be a hipster, and I would not be too fond of him. (laughs) This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. His name is Oliver Queen. For five years he was stranded on an island with only one goal. Podcast. I mean, survive. Now he will fulfill his father's dying wish and bring down those who are poisoning his city. My name is Reese Parton. And I'm Lee Busby. I am Dean Hill. And my name is Sundra JF. And we are The Undertaking. Like most criminal organizations in comics nowadays, we have turned good and we plan to tackle one episode of the new season of Harrow each week. Join The Undertaking at theundertakingpodcast.podomatic.com or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Arrow The Undertaking. And also on iTunes. Okay, um, we actually have an iTunes review. I don't know if you want to be here for it. 
Because you yeah. are. Yeah, okay. So this iTunes review comes from Whispering Loon, and they give us six Infinity Gems out of six. Or five stars out of five, actually. But they say <laughs> six Infinity Gems, so I'm counting as a six. So I want iTunes to adjust their numbers. Right. And he says, this is my absolute favorite podcast about Adam Warlock. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> out of all of them. Yeah. Okay, there aren't that many out there. And by that many, I mean any. So but hey, a, you know what? You're still the top spot. Exactly. That's all that counts. Being number one, even if I'm number one in a group of one. I like to set that bar so high, I could basically just step over. Reach up and grab it? No, more like just kick, kick it away. <laughs> that's how I do it I set the bar so low easy as hell so let's get serious I started listening to this not knowing anything about Adam Warlock but having heard about him in my reading when he shows up in a comic I know nothing about him coming across this I thought it would be interesting maybe even informative this podcast is both interesting and informative this is hosted by somebody who really likes the character which is good but he and his guests spin that into interest, interesting conversations about the stories and the characters. Fans of the character should enjoy this. Comic fans wanting to know more about the character will get to know the character. Highly recommended. Yay! So that's a really, really nice review. Awesome. Well deserved, sir. Thank you. And, well, for you too, because you, you are one of the guests he's talking about. And in fact, I found after reading this... Once or twice before, I realized I recognized the name. I know who this is. Oh, yeah? Whispering Loon is the uh, the Twitter handle for Ben Avery, who is a podcaster. He hosts the Welcome to Level 7 uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Sweet. Oh, well, sorry, not just S.H.I.E.L.D., but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show podcast. He also is actually one of the people doing um, on the Ultraverse Podcast Network. He does, oh, he does okay. The he does the Nightman podcast. Nice. So... Ben, oh, cool. It's always you. nice to be recognized by other podcasters. Yeah, that, that was... So, and thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. Well, um, I guess before we go, just a reminder to everybody that if uh, if you like the sounds of my voice and would like to hear it paired with a teenage girl, then you can um, hear me and my daughter geeking out about Avengers comics over at Avengers Inspirations, where we are currently running through... Um, the issues leading up to, or maybe just after Avengers number one, depending on when this comes out and when our episodes are coming out. We've also been doing a Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch in preparation for Avengers Age of Ultron, although we um, are not exactly going quickly enough to meet that deadline. But hey, we're still trying. And where can you find this show? That is over at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website. You can Google that phrase or just go to cmro.travis-starns.com and click the Podcasts tab to see all of our episodes there. And, of course, we're on iTunes and all the usual places. And also, if you actually, if you've been listening to the show, you might have heard um, me play a trailer the last few episodes for the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast. And... Um, which is hosted by Blaine Dowler, including several other podcasters every episode. And John has actually been on at least once or twice already. Yeah, we've done four recordings. We have many more to do. Um, I'm kind of the single most frequent host, but I'm not 
uh, that doesn't mean I'm on most of the episodes. It's just I'm on there more than any other single person. Yes, because um, you're a fool and you have been on. You, you said yes, Lee, too many times. <laughs> well, I basically said uh, he was looking for a list of people, and I was like, okay, this list of stories. If you don't have anybody else, I want to do these. So he just put me down for all of them, and um, so now I'm doing all of them, which is great because I, I, you know, I've talked about the death of Spider-Man in two different universes, and uh, it's been good. Yes, actually, I just listened to that one yesterday. Sweet. But of course, I'm also doing a read project to read along with the podcast, which you listener do not have to do, but I OCD listener must do. And right now, I'm in the um, early stages of the Clone Saga oh, because. Yeah. That's a long that one. made it on the list. Yeah, and that's a long one. I'm in the third volume of Eleven. Yeah, I actually, as soon as I finish the Captain Marvel reading, I have to start up on my New Mutants reading for my episode. Are you doing the New Mutants episode? Yes. Sweet. I'm reading, like, all of early 80s, mid-80s Marvel because of you. Ha ha ha. Because I can't just read New Mutants whenever I'm already reading X-Men, so I don't read X-Men 2, but I can't just read X-Men when I'm already almost reading Spider-Man 2, so I'm reading Spider-Man and Avengers, and so <laughs> it's it's become a thing. But hey, I'm going to do it. But yeah, I'm on New Mutants. I also have a, some Avengers issues, uh, Warlock, and there's a few, actually one or two other ones I forget, I have to look up. Did you snag the Starlin Warlock run? Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah, and I think I have uh, Hulk 181. Sweet. And a few others. That'll be fun. Yeah, you have the most that you're the on you're on the most episodes, but I think I have like I'm like number three on that list. <laughs> or something like that. I was I just looked at the list. The list actually came out when I was on my uh, little mini honeymoon right after when I got when I got married. So I missed like I wasn't on I wasn't able to see it right away. So I kind of just jumped on there and said, Gimme, 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 gimme <laughs> Well, it's been fun reading. I mean, it's, it's nice reading comics that you know are going to be worth reading. Yeah. So even if they're not always great, at least they're milestones. Exactly. Um, okay, well, that's it. That's everywhere you can find John. Go find him. I'll be waiting. And thank you for being here, John, and we will see you back next month with Warlock number six, right? Right? Yes. Please? More Warlock. Yay! More Doom. More Doom and... More Reed Richards. Richards! Some Reed Richards, actually. Yes. Because all we have is a word. All we have is a name said. He didn't get much right. We're going to enter him, though. Well, you are. I'm not. <laughs> Do I have to? I called not it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, with Reed Richards, the word reach around has a whole new meaning, so... Oh! And on that note, folks, good night, John. Good night. So that's where you can find John. If you feel the need to find me someplace besides here, you can find me, along with my Thanos, the Infinity Revelation co-host Brian, on Four Color Fanboys, where we are currently talking about the Warren Ellis run of Marvel's Excalibur. You can find the show on iTunes or fourcolor.podwits.com. As far as this show, if you feel so inspired, there are a few ways you can contact us. You can send an email at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com or just leave an iTunes review. Either one will be greatly appreciated and will be read on the air. And be sure to check out the show's Tumblr page where I post images from the issues we review at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. 
Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright or trademark infringement is meant or intended or planned. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. You know, if that guy left the store at six when we closed, instead of thinking, oh, I could stay for another ten minutes or so, this would have been almost perfect. <laughs> because after all, the last few Tuesdays, we haven't had issues with that. Right. Which means the one time I'm planning on where, you know... Being able to leave. You can't. I should have known. It always works against you. Well, just like I realized, we're not going to have major snowstorms this year, because I went full-time last year and started getting those days paid about two days after the last one ended. Which meant this year I knew we would not have any major snowstorms that would cause the store to close. Because now I can get paid for those days. (laughs) Last year I didn't get paid for them. So I'm I'm making sure there's a mild winter. Well, did you see the news for today? What news? The Marvel Universe, as we know it, is ending. With Secret Wars. Oh, that's right. They're gonna, I forgot they were going to have that um, announcement thing today. I completely forgot about that. The Marvel Universe and the Ultimate Universe are both coming to an end. They're amalgaming somehow into something new. Um, and evidently, all of the different worlds of Battle World are going to have some sort of legs going forward. Lots of new books launching out of Secret Wars. Huh. So it's all kinds of strange. Now, have they said whether or not it was going to be, like, a la Flashpoint, where, as far as everyone's concerned, this was always the history, or is it going to be, you know, hey, we're, things are different now? They have not said. Okay. So I don't know if it's going to be usual Marvel, where there's a narrative to link one thing to the next, and, you know, in the minds of the characters, this is just the next day. Yeah. Or if there's actually going to be some sort of continuity retooling. Marvel has always been the one who doesn't do the continuity retooling, but you know, that's the first time for everything. Yeah, and I hope not, just because since DC already did that, I'd rather have one of them at least have some link, you know, before. Although I guess we'll see what happens after the whole convergence thing. Yeah. Which I'm uh, actually looking forward to. I've been reading everything DC in anticipation. I'm currently in the middle of May, so I'm behind. So May, I read like or May of 2014, yeah. Wow, that's still a lot. Well, I'm going about one week of comics each day, and that's more than enough time. If I can get through a month of comics each week, then that's the rate I want to go to get. Uh, that'll be just exactly the pace I need to finish out. I'll finish out March's books at the end of March. And okay. be ready for convergence in April. We'll see. 
I started Green Lantern Uprising today. I finished The Outsiders War and Green Arrow. Uh, I'm in the Manipool run on Detective Comics. All things I've, I have not read. <laughs> I'm a little bit into Batman Eternal. I've started Aquaman and the others. So, lots of good stories. I finished the movement. Read the last issue today. How was that? Movement was good. I can see why I didn't get a, a following, you know, because it's just non-standard. But it was good. It was, it was a solid read about, you know, non-standard superhero-ish stuff. Yeah, I mean, I will give them, I will always say they are at least trying different things. It doesn't always succeed, but, I mean, they're trying to do not just, you know, regular superhero stuff constantly. Most of that seems to fail. <laughs> Like Tomorrow the, uh, it'll be Batgirl and Batman Eternal and Constantine and Green Lantern Corps. Those are on the list for tomorrow. Oh, from last March? Last May, I'm, yeah. May, not that May. It was an end month. I'll be curious when you get up to uh, the new Batgirl stuff, what you think of it. Oh, the new creative team? Yeah, I've actually yeah. been kind of surprised that I haven't hit it yet. I can't remember when Gail Simone stopped, but I thought it was... Um, I think it was after the zero month. It's like 35 oh, or 36 is the, is the first oh, issue okay. of the new After team. the Future's End? Okay. The Future's End, that's it. Yeah, so it's like October. Yesterday I got to the Batwoman annual that wrapped up the plot threads from the J.H. Williams run, and I had been leaving, leaving all of my Batwomans to sit until I got to that annual. So I read that annual to finish up that story, and then all of the Batwomans that had happened in the intervening months, which is some five or six issues... And uh, it's not J.H. Williams, but it's not a bad book. Well, no, it's uh, Mark Andreco. Um, I mean, I haven't been reading that woman. I do want to go back and read that because I do like the J.H. Williams. But also Mark Andreco, he did uh, Manhunter. Yeah. Okay. So the, the last Manhunter before Flashpoint, the uh, the female one that was like a relative of the JSA. Gotcha. And that was a good series. I enjoyed that one a lot. At least I, I liked it. It had a following. That was one of the things that people were sad to be gone. Yeah, it was one of those books like uh, Spider-Girl, where it kept getting pretty much almost canceled and then brought back at the last minute. Like, yeah, that's fun. frustrating for writers and readers. I can imagine. Well, I, not, at least for the writer part. I know it was like for the reader. Okay, so Warlock right. 4, 5. Warlock 5. Five. Yep, I think I have all the notes up. Hold on, let me make sure. And this episode is going to hit after you start Captain Marvel. Yeah, so this is early February. So, um, you're still catching up on Captain Marvel. You haven't actually recorded that episode yet. No, we're doing that actually next Monday. And then I'm going to have to record, I'm going to be doing editing that week to have it out by uh, the end of the month. Gotcha. But yeah, I'm almost done with the Captain Marvel stuff. I have to do... I have to read, what, uh, 22, 25, and there's two issues of Avengers that cross over with him. Now, if you are in the 20s, that means you've already hit Rick Jones? Oh, yeah. Because you've already partnered with Rick Jones by the Kree Skull War. In fact, the first issue of the Kree Skull War, him and Rick Jones get separated. They're separate the whole Kree Skull War, and then they get rejoined at the end of it. Gotcha. Okay, well, I am ready to go when you are. Okay. All right, ready to go. 
So I guess we'll do the intro and then leave a pause for me to put in the synopsis and then we'll just start talking about our notes. Okay. Okay, let's see. You have me looking up now. So Thor 126, 27 is the Hammer and the Holocaust. 156 is the Hammer and the Holocaust. They so that use the title. title got used twice? Yes. Within like 30 issues. They don't use the Hammer and as much as I would think, actually. Because the next is the Hammer and the Hellfire. Oh, the Flame and the Hammer. They switch it around. Mm. So that's issue 247. All right. Okay. Okay, I'm going to stop this now because it's starting me up. Great, now you put this thought in my head. Mwahaha. <laughs> <laughs>